Our printer broke, so we don't have the manuscript of the Gita commentary that I wrote that we were discussing from. So I'm just going through the verses in Prabhupada's edition and commenting from chapter 7. Chapter 7 begins the middle six chapters of Bhagavad Gita that explain the theology of the text. So all about God and therefore all about bhakti. Sixth chapter ended with uh, the culmination in the yoga ladder reaching the step of bhakti. First six chapters tell us the glory of bhakti in one sense that she is the as I say, topmost rung on the ladder of yoga, after the heart has been purified by Nishkam Karma Yoga, knowledge comes within, one can actually sit and do dhyana, meditation, and paramatma, and then at the end of that sixth chapter, Krishna glorifies bhakti as the best type of yoga. It's not the only place he mentions bhakti in the first six chapters. Here and there she makes appearance, and after all that is Bhakti is the ultimate advocacy of Lord Krishna and Bhagavad Gita. In the first six chapters, he wants to show the glory of bhakti by shedding light on other types of yoga in this way, by way of comparison. And he also wants to tell us, Lord Krishna wants to tell us, as I mentioned, that bhakti is the liberated yoga, yoga that brings about liberation. This is one of her glories. The second glory is that she's generous. So... She can, being independent, being fully spiritual, she can extend herself anywhere, even to those who are not qualified for Nishkam Karma Yoga. If they get good association with a sadhu who has bhakti in his heart, then they can take up the path of bhakti as an apprentice, so to speak. So here in the second six chapters, the glory of bhakti is being is directly discussed, and we find in the middle of these six chapters that something about the generosity of bhakti also comes out the end of the ninth chapter, which is really the conclusion of the Gita that's reiterated in the 18th chapter in a slightly different way. In that slightly different way, at the end of the 18th chapter, where Krishna says, then fully the generosity of bhakti comes as Krishna's heart, full of love, is beating so hard that he implores Arjuna to please take up bhakti. Ninth chapter, that same verse and the spirit of it is the more emphasis on the devotees coming to Krishna. And when he speaks it again in the 18th <coughs> chapter, the emphasis on is his reaching out to the devotee. As Sridharmarsh wanted us after publishing the book he entitled Search for Sri Krishna to publish a book called The Loving Search for the Lost Servant. So these two similar verses of Bhagavad Gita that are its conclusion. He says it like this at the end. 
like he gives his satyam promise to Arjun. Actually, actually he's begging Arjun, please take up bhakti, nothing else. That verse comes after his hesitation at the end of the Gita. Krishna couldn't tolerate the moments when he was waiting for Arjuna to respond and say, yes, I'll do as you say. So again, he comes with force. Before you say the wrong thing, let me tell you really what I want, what this whole discussion has been about. Become my devotee, fix your mind on me, and so forth. So this is the two glories of Bhakti, her post-liberated status and her liberating power and her generosity. So we're in the middle of the seventh chapter. Krishna in this chapter has begun to explain his ontological position as the Lord of everything. He told Arjuna, listen very carefully, Maya Saktamanaparta, Yoga Myunjamadashraya. How in the context of yoga practice, if your mind is attached to me, Asamshayam Samagramam, with this, hear from me about this, how in this context of yoga practice with mind attached to me, you can come to know me without any doubt, Asamshayam Samagram, Mam, and completely. So completely means Lord Bhagwan the object of the devotee's affection and love. We were discussing last night Chaitanya Charitamrita's Vastanidesh Shloka in Kaviraj Goswami's Mangal Charn. Here he says, Yad Advaitam Pramupanishari Tarapiya Satyanubha Yatvam Taryami Purusho Itisho Shamsavibhava Sadaishvarya Purnasiha Bhagavan Sasayamayam Chaitanya Krishna Jagati Paratattvam Paramiha is what his whole book is about, Chaitanya Charitamrita. There he mentions three features of the Lord. Yadadvaitam Brahmapanishadi, that which is talked about, that non-dual reality talked about in the Upanishads, that is his Tanubha, that is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's effulgence. That Antaryami Purusha, Paramatma, is his Vibhav, his partial expansion. And Bhagavan, that is his Swarup, who is that? That is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who the Upanishads are talking about, who is the Paramatma, who is Bhagavan, and so forth. So as we were discussing last night, the two controversial points that he takes up in Chaitanya Charitamrita are to establish that Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Krishna. So Bhagavan means, if we know Bhagavan, which was by Bhakti, in other words, Brahman is known by Gyan, and Paramatma is known by Yoga, Marg. And Bhagavan is the object of the devotees, love and affection. And knowing Bhagwan is to know Samagram, Mam, Krishna says, to know me completely with all my shaktis. Shakti is partially manifest in Paramatma, no doubt. And this uh, Tatasta Shakti, Maya Shakti are emanating from him. But the Swarup Shakti, the Lord's own personal nature, is fully manifest in the Leela of Bhagwan. This is the full expression of the Lord and his innumerable Shaktis. So knowing him completely means knowing him as Bhagavan and a path for this is Bhakti. So Krishna mentioned this in the beginning to Arjuna, and he spoke two other verses, all three of which are introductory to the chapter, all three of which are meant to get Arjuna's attention. Pay attention, I'm going to speak about something very important now. His mind attached to me in yoga practice, that means asakti. You can come to know me without any doubt, completely, and knowing this, he says, Nothing further remains to be known, and you should also know that what I'm going to tell you and teach you, this is very rare to understand. Manushanam sahasreshu kastyadyatati siddhaye. 
यतमी सिद्धानम ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತೆ The knowledge of Bhagavad Gita is introduced in the first six chapters and also some religion. And that knowledge is then elaborated upon in detail in the last six chapters. So, what is the Jeeva Chaitra? Chaitra Gya means what is the Jeeva Shakti, what is Maya Shakti. Goes into it at length there in the 13th chapter. Here he just introduces these two Shaktis for the purpose of explaining his ontological position. He says, these two Shaktis, the interaction of these, make up the whole world. The implication is, they come from me. They're my Shaktis. So, what is my position? Although I'm seated here on your chariot as your driver, this is my actual position. So, this is a major thrust of Bhagavad Gita and all of our Shastra. And that is why Prabhupada said, thousand and eight times, probably a million and eight times, The Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You can find that over and over and over again. Prabhupada's making this point. Because as we heard in discussion of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam, which means the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in a sense, as Prabhupada is saying. This is the Paribhash Shloka to all of Srimad Bhagavatam, the key to understanding all of Srimad Bhagavatam. What does it mean? It means if you understand that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then it's possible to understand his Leela properly. And then it's possible to get the Bhav and enter into that Leela. This comes up again and again in Bhagavad Gita. First Tattva, then Bhava. Theoretically, you may get Bhav without knowing any Tattva. But those who seem to do so, we also hear, oh, they must have in their previous lives... <laughs> understood so much tattva. So we should not... This is a labor of intelligence. So we should not be lazy in terms of engaging our intellect in Krishna's service. Uh, my Guru Maharaj gave, as he used to say, 60 books. So they should be read. They should be studied. As far as our intellectual capacity, as great as it is, we should employ it in this. And this is what Krishna concludes in the Bhagavad Gita in the end, in the afterthought of Bhagavad Gita when he's speaking about the qualification, whom it's to be given to, whom it's not to be given to, and so forth, he makes the statement, jnana yogena, by sacrifice of knowledge, the study of Bhagavad Gita involves sacrifice of knowledge. Prabhupada rendered it something like, one who studies this Bhagavad Gita worships me with his intelligence. So we should also give our intelligence to Krishna. Don't be lazy in that regard. Take some trouble to learn some technical terms, and so forth. As we were discussing last night, if you read through Bhagavatam, you find a verse, I like this, I don't like that. But if we study carefully, we find some key verses are there, that the whole of the Goswami Granthas, our Bhakti Shastra, are moving around, like the central hub. Vidanti tat tat pravidas tattvam yadhyanam adhyam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavani shabde. This verse... Whole Satsandarva is based on this. Whole Gaudiya Vaishna philosophy is found in Satsandarva. Krishna's Kaviraj following that Satsandarva. 
turns his whole book out of these two verses also to explain Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's position. He has a second task. First is to explain Krishna is the Supreme Godhead and then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Krishna. So the point is if we know this, we understand this, then we have a Prakriti Shraddha. Then we can have qualified to hear the Leela and understand it properly. Especially means Ras Leela. Therefore before Ras Leela, Brahman Vimohan Leela comes. What is the point of Brahman Vimohan Leela? That Krishna is the source of Narayan. In that Leela, millions of Narayans emanated from Lord Krishna. Brahma saw it. Narayanas from Nahisarvadehinam. Are you not my father? Are you not the source of Narayan? <laughs> he says. And he saw millions. He says, all these uh, cowherds and calves, unlimited cowherds and calves, Krishna manifest. 14th chapter. At the end of Brahma Mohan Lila, Brahma gives his prayers. That verse is cited in Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami's second chapter to explain his position of Krishna as the Supreme Godhead. So that chapter, the import, the philosophical import, of course, there's many, many points there, but the main point is that it's demonstrated in that Lila that Krishna is the source of Narayan. That's why the Madhvas, they think those chapters are interpolations and some other sampradayas also. They don't accept those uh, chapters because they demonstrate in the Lila that actually Krishna is the source of Vishnu, Narayan. So by going, passing through that, that's Krishna's Kumar Lila. He's just going out with some calves, getting in trouble with Agasura, solving the problems of Agasura, actually, hmm. giving him liberation. So we understand that Lila, very important Lila. Then, as I say, we become qualified to understand what is Ras Lila. We get a Prakriti Shraddha. I find it significant that Prabhupada left the world in the midst of translating the Brahma Bimohan Lila, from which he drew his, his main point that he wanted to make. Krishna's two Bhagavan Svayam. Krishna's the Supreme Personality of God, the Supreme Personality of God, the Supreme Personality of God. He's laboring on this point. Because if you don't understand this, no possibility of going further. Aham Sarvasya Prabhupada You know I'm the source of everything? Then Raga Bhava Samanvita. It's possible. So don't shy away from the Aishvarya of Krishna. The only reason that his Leela is Madhurya, sweet, is because it's God doing that. It means Aishvarya. So we should know the Aishvarya of Krishna and get a Prakriti Shraddha, and then we can pass through and forget about that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as all the inhabitants of Vrindavan do. They're not concerned with that. First we teach this point with the hope that people will forget about it in due course of time. We're hammering Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead in such a way that they will forget about that and just think of Krishna as the son, friend, lover. So you can see how preaching works. <laughs> we have to say one thing with such emphasis at one point, only to get them to come to the opposite position at some later point. So you have to have some organic way of understanding the preaching and how the scripture works. Mahaprabhu said, every word of Srimad Bhagavatam is Krishna. What about Aranyakashipu? What does that have to do with Krishna? <laughs> or such persons? So it means Anvayad Itarataha. Anvayad Vitirekabhyam. Bhagavatam says directly and indirectly. And this is how all the scripture works. So Bhagavad Gita is no different. So many paths are discussed in Bhagavad Gita, and people think, any path? There's so you can take this path, that path. Krishna is recommending so many paths. One path is recommended in Bhagavad Gita, Bhakti. But to shed light on bhakti's glory, then other paths will be talked about indirectly. We'll shed light on the glory of bhakti by doing so. So in this way, to understand these things, we need some some help. We should hear the books. A person who has a 
comprehensive understanding of the scripture. So Krishna is establishing his supreme position. The whole world is coming from him. Everyone's under the modes of nature. He cites some examples in this chapter and gives some idea of how he's to be understood, all powerful manifestations coming from him. This again comes in the ninth chapter and then in the tenth chapter to the extreme, culminating in that... Uh, Right there in Bhagavad Gita, the same point. Who is the whole Jagat coming from? Vishnu. And what is he? Krishna's Ekamsa. One partial manifestation of myself. So Krishna's two level ones. Here it is in Bhagavad Gita. And Arjuna wonders, oh gosh, everyone's bewildered by the material nature. How does one get out? And he says, This verse we discussed yesterday morning. Krishna says that this maya that everyone's under the influence of and bewildered by, I'm the backing of that. It gives it a divine color if we see it in that light. And therefore, if you surrender to me, and only me, Krishna is saying here, then easily you can cross over maya, which is very difficult to cross over otherwise. So he's stressing himself even over all other avatars. And we mentioned this point. Uddhava said, Who in the right mind will approach anybody other than Krishna, who gave Vatsalya Bhakti, Rasa, to Putana, who came to poison him by giving her breast in the guise of a mother, such a heinous act that Krishna gave her. So approaching Krishna is easy. And we explained, although Krishna is the highest manifestation of divinity and therefore very far, if we go very, very high, the higher we go on the ladder, we're going to a higher manifestations of love, love more fully expressed. And when we go to the highest point, we meet also the generosity, because love has by its nature the need to, to share itself with others. So if we go very deep into Krishna Lila, what do we come to? Gorlila. Deep inside Krishna Lila, we find Gorlila. We find Krishna in his most introspective moments, wondering what it is about him that makes himself so attractive, what it is in her that she experiences upon seeing him and all these things. This is all in Krishna Lila. And it's as deep as you can go in Krishna Lila. And there we find Gorlila, <coughs> and it turns Madhurya, Audarja, and it's going everywhere. So it's very high, but it's very accessible. Very easily you can cross over this Duratya Maya. It's very difficult to cross over by any other means, but by this means, surrender to me. Me means here Krishna Swayam Bhagavan. Here Dwarkadish Krishna is moving in the direction of the Braj Lila when he says, So Arjuna wonders, why doesn't everybody do that? And we discussed this point to some extent yesterday. We find a very good thing comes our way, a favorable wind of Krishna consciousness. We want to go there, but we find our friends aren't going. We don't even have the power to explain it in such a way that they can become attracted. We should not hold back, however. Think why our friends aren't going. Sounds good, but why our friends aren't going? Why aren't the most learned people in the world going? In other words... We're thinking, well, if it's so good, why aren't the big scholars and leaders of the nations going? We shouldn't hold back. 
on that account, thinking, well, it's a minority opinion. It's actually the opinion of the Tripad Vibhuti, the whole sp- greater expanse of the spiritual sky. Actually, this question, Muyantiyatsurayo, comes in Bhagavatam in the first verse. Even the demigods are bewildered. The Prabhupada was asked once, why aren't the most intelligent people coming to this? And he said, they are. <laughs> Brahma's there, Narada, Shiva. So he gave us a glimpse of what world he was living in, the bigger <laughs> picture. <laughs> why, aren't the, why aren't the important, intelligent people? And Prabhupada's thinking, yes, they are Brahma, Shiva, Narada, they are good. <laughs> Shri Marsh was once asked the same question. Why aren't the most intelligent people coming? He said, Muyanti it's not for everybody. By intelligence, you cannot get there. So he gave a different kind of answer. Only by shraddha, by kripa. If there is intelligence, it's sumedasaha. Yajantihi sumedasaha. What is sumedasaha? It means a kind of theistic intelligence that comes from sukriti, bhakti unmukhi sukriti. Different kinds of sukriti. Now Krishna is going to discuss sukriti, duskriti. First duskriti, then sukriti. First, that which gets in the way of our coming to Shraddha and that which may help us to come in the direction of Shraddha, which is Adhikar for Bhakti. So Krishna gives his own answer as Arjuna queries, why isn't everybody doing this? It's what you say, it sounds so wonderful and you are who you are and and here you are in this form, so charming and surrender to you. Yes, why doesn't everybody do so? Krishna has his own answer for this. He says, Namam duskriti no mudha He lists four kinds of people who don't surrender unto him. So what are they? Namam duskriti no mudha. First, as I said, they're duskritina. So it means sukriti duskriti means Sukriti means a kind of piety, a kind of merit. And there is Sukriti in relation to Karma Marg, Gyan Marg, and Bhakti Marg. So if you have this Bhakti Unmukhi Sukriti, this kind of Sukriti, you can come to Bhakti. Sridhamarsh gave an example. When Adho Shraddha means Bhakti begins at Shraddha. This is like when a little creeper, a little plant comes above the ground, first visible. But something is going on underneath the ground. The seed is germinating and the roots are going down. So these two things, prior to Shraddha, Agyata Sukriti, Gyata Sukriti, in relation to Bhakti. So what is that Agyata Sukriti? An example of Agyata Sukriti is, there's a story, there was a Brahmachari associated with the moth and temple, and he went door to door begging alms for the mission. And he came to the house of one gentleman who was in the midst of having a fight with his wife. And he knocked on the door and, and he held out his uttariya, sannyasi, I guess he was, his cloth anyway, for some alms. And the man was in such a state, he was so upset. He said, oh, what's here? And he threw some ashes from the fire. Take this and get out of here. So the brahmachari sannyasi, whatever, he was the renunciate, had to tolerate that. Sometimes when we go door to door, the door will be closed in our face. In Brihat Bhagavatamrita, when Gopukumar attains Golok, and Krishna is coming back from the forest at Goduli, cow dust, 
time. He's counting on his beads, his jewel, 108 jewel mala, calling the names of the different sections of cows, playing his flute, all collected in. The sun is just setting out of embarrassment as the son of Krishna again makes his appearance in Vrindavan. All the inhabitants coming, the gopis up on the roof, looking. He's coming, he's coming. Nandamar is also climbing the roof. Gopis climbing the water tower. Nandamar is climbing the roof. They're even more eager. <laughs> Where is he? Then here Krishna comes with Baldev, Subal, Sridam, Stoka Krishna, and all the cows, covered with the dust of the cows from head to foot and beautified that much more by that very wonderful time in Krishna Leela. And Gopakumar has just appeared in Golok Vrindavan. He's come to Mathura. He sees so many people just moping around, not saying anything. He asks, where is Gopal, son of Nanda? And people just faint, crying. And finally one fellow says, that way, they're all drowning in <coughs> an ocean of separation. Comes to Vrindavan, and someone says, See, soon he'll be coming. He sees them all looking and waiting in anticipation. Here comes Krishna. And what does he do? He comes. Krishna sees Gopakumar, and he embraces him and faints. And the inhabitants of Vrindavan, thinking Gopakumar must be some demon, the kind of demon they hear about, in Golok, but they never see. There's rumors about those demons there, but they never manifest. So the Sambhavas felt as in Gokul, in Golok, because <coughs> they are essentially the same. Essentially the same means the Bhava is the same. So there's some difference. There's no demons actually make their appearance there, but there are rumors about them. And so they feel these sentiments. And they're thinking, maybe this is a demon, and he's embraced Krishna, and Krishna has fallen down. What to do? And Gopakumar is embarrassed. He's wondering, what what's my position? Anyway, Krishna comes to external consciousness and he calls, Swarup, I've been waiting for you for such a long time. You come here. And I know what you tolerated from me, what you did, what you put up with, what you tolerated from others. And you went from door to door. And sometimes people turned you away. But you didn't think ill of them because you thought only you were, on my behalf, going there as duty. In this way, you tolerated, and I was there. I knew all those times. I watched, and I've been waiting for you for a long time, and finally you've returned. Very endearing to hear this in our life as sadhakas. We can know. We should not blame anyone. What we have to tolerate to attain Krishna's association, we should see that as blessing. Mahaprabhu said we must be tolerant like the tree and humble like the blade of grass. When the opportunity comes, we should not run away from that. Embrace it. And no, Krishna is seeing that. It's time for the devotion to show itself, <laughs> to grow. Some test is coming. Will you run away? No? Because you asked in my name at a house of a wealthy and well-known man and he slammed the door in your face. Will you think? Maybe it's not worth it. People are not interested. When I joined Prabhupada's mission, I told myself, even before I met Prabhupada, and I was living in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and I decided that I should join this. Then I made a vow to myself, even if everyone leaves this, I don't know how the thought came to me, because it's not a thing that you would normally think of, that if everyone leaves, <laughs> even if no one else sticks with this, I stay with this my whole life. 
this is such a valuable thing. This game that passed, many people did leave, apparently, at least for a while. I don't know where I got the thought. I had that kind of convictions. We should think like that. So, sometimes the door will be slammed in our face. So this devotee was begging, and the man just threw ashes. And instead of begrudging him, he kept the ashes, and he thought, hmm, well, the guy's having a problem. It's his problem. It's not my problem. <laughs> it's his problem. But let me see if I can find a way to make his problem a solution. Turn his problem into a solution. I mean, his problem is he threw these ashes at me, and he took the ashes, and he tried to find a way to use them in Krishna's service. And the Prabhupada did this. There's some nice stories how somebody gave him some meaningless thing, and Prabhupada found a way to engage it. When that crazy man came in the temple, 26 Second Avenue, and said, Ooh! made a noise like that, walked up where Prabhupada was sitting, and all the devotees didn't know what was going on. He took out some toilet paper from his coat, set it down on the table, walked out. Devotees didn't know if they should arrest the man or what, if they made an offense by allowing him to come in. And Prabhupada said, just see, his devotional life has begun. And Prabhupada didn't use toilet paper, but he used that role <laughs> and caused that man's good fortune. <laughs> he found a way. His devotional life has begun. He's made an offering to find a way to use it. So this fellow had this spirit. We should try to have this spirit. Turn everything around. What seems to be unfavorable, turn it into something favorable. We pay our dandavats to those devotees who were the negative impetus for our being in this present position outside of Prabhupada's society. We took the ashes, went to the temple, used the ashes to polish the brass for the deity. He created the Sakriti for this gentleman. This is a classic example to understand it. It's the principle of Sakriti, Agyata Sakriti. After some time, he came back to that house again. And that man that he had Sukriti was apparent because when he saw him, he said, you know, I didn't know what temple you were from. And after I did that, after a couple of days, I started to feel bad about that. After, in other words, he had polished that brass. <laughs> and I was thinking how to make it up to you. And please come in. And, and So from Agyata Sukriti, he went to Gyata Sukriti. He still doesn't know what is the full value. He doesn't have Shraddha, but now he's consciously wanting to make some offering, some benefit, give some benefit. A godbrother of mine told me that he was riding in the car with Prabhupada, and the Prabhupada was going to speak at some hotel. And there was a line of cars, and the doorman was opening the doors and letting people out and so forth. So my godbrother's watching. He's in the car with Prabhupada in the door. Prabhupada's car pulls up, and this man opens the door, and Prabhupada came out. And my godbrother wisely said, and I realized at that time he opened the door of opportunity for his spiritual life. He doesn't know anything who is Prabhupada, but he opened the door and Prabhupada came out. Some Agyata Sukriti. So this is the beginning. This is in relation then to Bhakti. Sukriti in relation to Bhakti. Bhakti Unmukhi Sukriti. Not in relation to Gyan or Karma. This will help us invisibly. So here, Duskriti. They are Duskritinas. They don't have Bhakti Sukriti. They don't have any good Sukriti. They are Mudhas, Naradhamas, Mayapurta Jnana, and Asurumpavam, these people. So they mean, in a contemporary explanation of this, what it means is that uh, there are people who are Mudhas. That means their inability to surrender is a lack of understanding. They're gross materialists. 
So they have a lack of understanding between matter, what is matter and spirit, and they remain in that position, and therefore they cannot surrender. Second one, naradhamma. It means low life. Theirs is a failure of inclination. It means they have the opportunity, and they have some understanding. Classically, they are those who are born in Brahmin families, born in devotee families. So they have an opportunity and some understanding based just on their birth, and they hear about these things from their childhood. But they're not inclined to take it up. They're Naradhana. Vishwana Chakvatitaka is called the lowest of, I think probably use the same term, lowest of mankind, who had the opportunity especially when it comes in relation to Krishna Bhakti, had the opportunity to take up Bhakti, but weren't inclined, gave it up. Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says in Chaitanya Charitamrita that if you know about this, but you don't take advantage of it, better you never lived at all. You'd be better off if you never lived at all. So Mudha, Naradhama, and Maya Pritagana. Maya Pritagana means he doesn't have a lack of intellectual prowess and therefore understanding. He has an excess of intellect. And therefore, he examines all of the scriptures, for example, of the different paths and so forth, and he comes to the conclusion that, well, there's a defect in every one of them. Because just from a philosophical, logical point of view, every tradition, every system has some glitch, some gap, some hole. Now, because we have Sukriti for Bhakti, Therefore, we come to embrace the logic of bhakti, bhakti's explanation of every scriptural verse and so forth. We can't find any hole in it. It satisfies us. But strictly from a point of view of logic, then anyone can find a hole anywhere. After all, you have to understand the whole philosophy is just a, as wonderful as it is, a feeble attempt to put into words, in a logical arrangement, an experience it is beyond words and beyond reasoning. Great souls go to the land of faith, and then they turn back to the world of doubt to try to represent what that's about, give a whole sophisticated philosophy and so forth, based on the scripture. It's so inadequate in terms of a representation, explanation of that thing. Therefore, what it's really imploring us to do, all this scripture, is those things by which we'll get the experience ourselves and go there. So we should see all this scripture as like an outline. It's like if you write an outline before you write a book, then there are thousands of words and sentences and paragraphs in between that fill that all out, such as the nature of Krishna Lila. And we just talked about it, an outline of the Prakat Lila given in Bhagavatam. Some details filled in here and there from Padma Purana, Haribam's Purana, and insights from the Goswamis they're bringing down from their own experience. But all this is, like I say, just an outline. So when the scripture fails, or our logic fails to satisfy someone, and they point out what they see to be the shortcoming in some way, we should not lose faith on that account. We should know from the beginning that if you have bhakti unmukhi sukriti, then you can appreciate this logic entirely. Then you can embrace it. Therefore, when we meet people like this who want to arrest the thing with their intellect, dissect it, and insist that it uh, fully satisfy their reasoning. God doesn't answer to our reasoning. He's above reasoning, and so is soul for that matter. To a point, Bhagavatam gives a bashing to the intellect, 
Gyane prayasa udapasanam deva. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use our intellect. We've mentioned earlier we should use it to its fullest capacity, but it has its limitations. This is the point of Bhagavatam. Mahaprabhu liked this sloka very much. When Ramananda Roy is speaking Bhagavad Gita again, when Arjuna is speaking Bhagavad Gita as Ramananda Roy in Gaurila, he comes to this point. And Mahaprabhu says, yes, that's good. Now I accept that. Everything else he's rejecting prior to that. That I accept. Gyane prayasa udapasanam deva. That by intellectual exercise you cannot understand. Get in position to hear from someone who is an experiencer. And just from that, He who is ajita becomes jita. Who is unconquerable becomes conquerable by this method. So we have to create security for people. Then they can get sumedasa, proper thinking to appreciate the logic of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and the way in which we interpret the scriptures and so forth. So these people, Maya Pritagana, they are very learned, too learned, and they too much identify themselves with intellect and reasoning faculty. So it becomes a problem because for them, everything becomes relative then. You go to the academy, university, and you get your degree. You went with the idea to get a degree in Indology, for example learn about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. That's not the place to go to learn about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You have to go to a sadhu. You can learn something there. If under the guidance of a sadhu, guru, if you have guru nishta, and guru says, yes, you go there and study, then possible you can make your way through there. The purpose of that would be to send someone behind enemy lines, like espionage. Go behind enemy lines. You have to hear... Everything your scripture talked about in a relative light. You meet people who know more about Gaudi Vaishnava <laughs> philosophy than you do. As I said the other day, until they go for lunch. Hmm? <laughs> and what, what they know, what they're feeling for it is, becomes revealed. This is the soup of relativity. Tarko pratishtanati. You cannot get any pratishta, I mean any standing, any ground to stand on, simply by intellectual exercise. You will go nowhere. That you become paralyzed. You just become doubtful. Well, the Buddhists say this, and this one says that, and the materialists say this. Everybody's got good points. None of this fully satisfies my intellect. Heart can't come out. So heart remains within, and the heart is the homeland of the soul. So can it move freely and happily in life? If Rashida Marsh used to say, when a very intelligent person comes to me, I have to hammer on this point. Gan Shunya Bhakti, Gan Shunya Bhakti, Gan Shunya Bhakti. Do those things that will allow your heart to come out. Use your intelligence under the guidance of Guru to establish the position of Krishna. This is using intelligence in Krishna's service, not to question whether he's there or not, to what extent he's present and how in so many ways and so forth. So Mayaprita Jnana, he suffers from this, an excess of intellect. The Muda has a lack of understanding. And the Naradhamma has some understanding based on his good fortune, good opportunity, but doesn't take advantage of it. So lack of inclination. And these are the order of these. There's an order to these also. Who's worse? And we come to the worst one now. The mood is the best of them, actually. He just suffers from a lack of understanding. And then the worst is, in one sense, of course, different charities may have said different things, but the worst in one sense, is Asura-bhava-mashita, one who takes shelter of the demonic thinking. And this person, the implication is he may know about Krishna, 
And he doesn't take up Krishna consciousness, surrender to Krishna, not for lack of inclination, but he just outwardly opposes. He studied, like these, some of these Orientalists who came studied Gaudiya Vaishnavism, just for the purpose of defeating it. Asura Bhavamashrita. They know about Krishna, but they're actually Asuras. So Krishna says, these four kind of people, they don't surrender to me. They don't have Bhakti Udmukhi Sakriti. But then there are others. Jana Sukriti no Arjuna. Artu Jignasu These they don't have Shraddha, but they come to Shraddha through their Sukriti, four types of people. Because of Sukriti they come to Krishna to surrender, although they have some motive, the first two, Arto, Artarti, they want their suffering, they want relief, they want material gain, so they come to Krishna. Their approach to bhakti is influenced by karma. The example is given of Gajendra and Dhruva. Gajendra was in distress. Dhruva was in want of a kingdom. They both surrendered to God. <coughs> Third type, Jignashu, means inquisitive. The example is often given of the rishis at Naimisharanya who inquired from Shonaka. They asked the questions that begin the Bhagavatam. Their devotion moves in the direction of Ganmishra Bhakti. It actually gets Jignashu as kind of the in-between point. The other two, Arto and Artarti, come to Jignashu and then to Gan, self-knowledge in Bhakti. The last one is the Gani Bhakta. It means he's Gani, but he has some Sukriti for Bhakti, so he ultimately comes and surrenders to Krishna. Coming from this position, from, from the position of Gan to Bhakti, one goes very quickly and from Jignashu also. You might know the book Jayavadharma, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. There's two principal characters in the book, Brajanath and Vijay Kumar. And they go through the whole development of bhakti from Shraddha to the end so quickly. And the explanation of this is what, when you think, well, it's just taking us a long time, or some people, why they go so quickly? Because they were Gani and Jignashu, respectively, the two of them. When people come from the other side, the lower side, in terms of wanting relief from material distress or economic development, then it, the progress is slower. If Jiva Goswami says, when Bhagavatam says, Sadyo simply the interest to hear Srimad Bhagavatam causes Krishna to become arrested in your heart. He says, this is for the jnani who comes to bhakti. Because jnana makes the heart pure. Jnana means sattva So it makes the heart clean clear like a crystal. Then if you place it next to a crystal, next to a red rose, it becomes red. So if you place it next to Krishna Bhakti, then it takes on very quickly. So because our heart is not clean, then we're not catching on. Therefore, as I said, when we execute Bhakti, become engaged in Bhakti, even though we're not even qualified for Nishkam Karma Yoga, Bhakti may come to us. In the culture of that Bhakti, hearing a chanting, we'll pass through all the stages of Nishkam Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, become qualified for Dhyana, and so forth, in the context of bhakti. So we should look for that kind of development in ourselves. We know what is our standing in the whole affair. Not to try to jump ahead and sit down and do dhyana on Leela Smarnam from day one. This is the basic teaching of Bhagavad Gita. So the jnani is the best of these four in Krishna. It says that, Tesham jnani nitya yukta eka bhakti vishishyate priyohi jnani no tartam mahamsa chamamapriya of these, the wise one, who is in full knowledge, in union with me, 
through pure devotional service is the best, for I am very dear to him and he is very dear to me. And Krishna says here that um, he glorifies the jnani. He says, Tesham jnani nityukta. So out of them, the jnani, who is always nityukta, united with me, eko bhakti vishishite, in bhakti, who the jnani who has come to bhakti, who has come with, like Sukadeva Goswami, like Chatushan Kumaras, they were self-realized and they came to bhakti. They're very dear to me. Priyohi jnani notyartam, ahamsa chamama priya. Here he says, they're very dear to me. This will help us to understand the next verse, where he says, in relation to the jnanis, jnanitvat maiva me matam, they are one with me. These jnani bhaktas and I are one. So, but here he said, they're dear to me. So the way in which they're one is not in any mayavad way. We shouldn't misunderstand this verse to be saying that, as some people do. They're one, just like I can say, Nishingamarsh and I are one. We're very different. Everybody knows that. <laughs> but Maharaj and I are one. He and I are one, like that. One in principle, one in spirit, one in love and affection. But still, we can be very different personalities. So Krishna is saying, he and I are one. We are just like of the same stock. Krishna revealed to the Kumaras, all these people in Vaikuntha, they're one with me. I take responsibility for the offense they've made. He came to the gate. When the Kumaras saw this, they realized we're the ones that made a mistake. We thought this was the material world we were entering because there was some bias here. They wouldn't let us in. But we see it's something different altogether. Narayan, Vishnu, God is saying, these people are one with me. I take the responsibility for what they've done. And they thought, my goodness, this is very extraordinary. These Kumaras then came to Bhakti seeing this. So entered Vaikuntha, the land of partiality, <laughs> which is what the material world is all about. It's difficult to understand bhakti. That partiality is what fuels the whole spiritual world. Partiality for Ram takes us to Ayodhya. Partiality for Nasinga to his loka. Partiality for Dwarakesh Krishna to Dwarka. Partiality for Brajanandanandan Krishna to Brajbhakti. We want that partiality. But it arises out of Brahmabhuta Prasanatma, Nasochite Nakangshite, Samasarveshu Bhuteshu, impartiality, in relation to the material differences and variety. In other words, if an important person is partial, like the government official is partial, his position is compromised. He should deal equally with everyone. But the full expression of love is not that impartiality. The full expression of love is, I love you, and if he hates you, I hate him. This is how Krishna responds. I love you, you are my devotee. He doesn't like you? I don't like him. This is where Gaudiya Vaishnavism excels, you see, in the idea of, of love of God. It's not just the impartiality of turn the other cheek. That part is there too. But what does Vrindavan Das Thakur say? And if they don't like what I say here about Gaur and Nityananda, and I kick on their head with shoes. He says that. Prabhupada used to say that. But the Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur say, that is a very special thing. When he was asked, what does this mean? Where is the Trinata peace in each and on this? So that was a very special thing. When the devotee says like that, Krishna immediately goes to that person and says, oh, my devotee, he spoke so harshly to you. Immediately that person gets Krishna's attention, who would not otherwise. Vrindavan Dastakura, devotee of Nityananda Prabhu, Nityananda Prabhu said, Mahaprabhu gave love of Krishna to anyone who asked, and Nitai gave to those who didn't want it. 
So here Krishna is showing his appreciation for the jnanis, but he says, <laughs> He says, actually, I've said the jnani is very dear to me, but all these people are actually generous. They're all very generous. Ramanuja says, why are they generous? Because bhakti, love, as I mentioned earlier, has a necessity to share itself, to give itself. And these people become mediums through which the Lord's generosity can be expressed. So therefore, they're magnanimous. Krishna is saying, they're all very great souls. Magna- there are udara, udarja. They're all udara. Very magnanimous, these people, because they give me the opportunity to express my affection. And this is my need, my necessity. And because they approach me, even in whatever way they approach me, they approach me favorably, even if they're surrendering to me and asking my help, it may be mixed, but they give me a chance to express my love. So they're very generous. I appreciate them, all of them, the jnanis amongst them, more so, which means that when we come to bhakti, full gyan and bhakti, it means we enter into bhakti proper, parabhakti. Again, Brahmabhuta Prasanatmana today. We have our ordinary apprenticeship bhakti, but when we become self-realized in the context of culturing bhakti, which is our path, then we come to parabhakti, bhakti proper, and the cultivation goes on from there in love of God. Then so Krishna further glorifies the jnani. He says, Bahunam janmanamante jnanavan mam prapadyante vasudev sarvamiti sa He says, after many, many births then, in knowledge, one can come to this position of surrendering to me and understanding me. So the idea is that these other four will gradually come to Jignasha, to inquiry, the inquirers, to Jnana, and then to Bhakti. They're fortunate to get the generosity of Bhakti, as we said earlier. They can start in an apprenticeship way from the beginning, hearing and chanting about Krishna. Any question? Yeah. First interesting point, you mentioned uh, Karko Pratishta. No, not. Mm-hmm. By logic, you cannot come to the right conclusion. You cannot understand the absolute by, by logic. There's one interesting pastime in the life of Madhvacharya that when he was very young, one great Buddhist scholar came to debate him, to defeat him, and he came with his whole entourage and like that. And he said, yes, I want to debate the, you know, the absolute truth by logic, something like that. And Madhvacharya just said, you cannot arrive at the absolute truth by logic. And then the man said, yes, we will debate later. I will come back. And he left and never came back. And he was defeated just by that statement. Right. <laughs> right, because the statement is what? Logic is inconclusive. Yes. And if you say, well, that logic is inconclusive also. <laughs> then you say, yep, that was my point. Logic is inconclusive. That's kind of logic, too. Logic that... Logic that logic is inconclusive. So you mentioned uh, Arjuna accepting Krishna, his instructions. In the end of the Gita, he says, Now I've understood what you told me and I'm prepared to do the needful act. Early, though, at one point he says, Shishashtimam Sarimam Tram Prapanam, that I'm your disciple and I'm surrendered to you. Please mm. instruct me. Is that after he says, I won't fight, and he throws down his bow? It is. That was the first chapter, no, right? At the end of the first chapter. In the first chapter, he throws it on yeah. the bow. But 
The second actually, chapter he says. The second chapter he says, I surrender to you. But he also says, I'll not fight after that verse. Mm. So it means he's surrendering, but his understanding of what's involved is not complete. Mm. I'm putting myself at your feet. Actually, again, say God to Saraswati appeared on his tongue because what he's saying there is, I shall not fight. In fact, the whole purport of the Bhagavad Gita is that Arjuna didn't fight. Krishna fought through him. Mm. So he's actually saying mm. the right thing. I surrender to you and I'm fully enlightened. I shall not fight. You will do everything. <laughs> Something like that. In the, the Brahma Vimohan Leela, mm. Madhvacharya, he doesn't comment <coughs> on that section. But do they make a statement? I'm not clear on that. That this section is interpolated, it's not there in the Bhagavatam. They actually come out and say that? or they Madhva didn't, comment? but I think one of his followers did. Madhva didn't say, come out and say, he just didn't comment. But I believe one of his followers did, and then in the, I know in the Balab Sampradaya, they don't, yeah. they accept that as an interpolation. And there's a few different groups that look at it in different ways. Overall, the, the Madhvas don't it's accept it. Yeah, it's also inconvenient for their yeah. beliefs. Yeah, they have to become Gaudias. <laughs> Gaudiya Madhva, Madhva Gaudias. Actually, Madhva Gaudiya means the improvement of the thought of Madhva. <laughs> Extension of the thought of Madhva. You mentioned Audarya. You didn't quite say it, but why, how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is greater than Krishna? Mm-hmm. Rather than Krishna combined. Mm. But Madhurya Audarya. Madhurya plus Audarya. Audarya is also there in Krishna Lila, but to this extreme it comes in Gaur Lila. So Shudamar says that uh, Madhurya is exclusive, Audarya is all-inclusive. A, just a short way to say how Audarya is even more expansive, including everyone. But then we also see in Gaur Lila that there is also some exclusivity within Audarya also, that not everyone can enter into that. So. I was waiting for a chance to ask you in relation to that. How do we see that? How you can comment on that? Like the mother of uh, Shivas Thakur was not allowed. There are some incidents where even in, into the Ajoya Leela... Yeah, but you, in that instance, for example, Mahaprabhu has not begun <coughs> his full Ajoya Leela because he's doing... That is the Nitya Leela Kirtan and Sangam with his Parsha devotees. He's not begun to distribute it yet. When some pious people came outside and wanted to be part of the kirtan, but they had the respect of not to barge in, Mahaprabhu became compassionate towards them and he came outside, Hariharai Namakrishna, Yadavai Namaha, and began the kirtan everywhere. Before that, he's doing his private kirtan, and that is the like Nitilila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You can't just go in there either, but when it comes out, and there's some Audari in that Leela also, because in the Nitilila of Gauranga Mahaprabhu, what is the Audarya of that? Krishna Leela is found inside of it as well. Whereas you can find Krishna Leela, but you have to look very, very deep to find Gaur Leela inside Krishna Leela. You just look at the surface of Gaur Leela and Krishna Leela is everywhere. But the fuller expression of Audarya of Gaur Leela is when it manifests in the Prakat Leela, the manifest world, and Mahaprabhu comes out of Shiva Sangam and starts to distribute it around and he's giving it to everybody. So then at that point there is no... Yeah, the lesson, it, through, through that he's giving people opportunity to enter into the kirtan of Shivas at Shivas Angam in due course. But then again, in due course. So there's some exclusivity in the sense of Adhikar within the context of Bhakti. Although everybody might have Adhikar for Bhakti, 
still in their levels of adhikar within that as well. So that actually begins after Mahaprabhu takes sannyas? No, it begins before Mahaprabhu takes sannyas, actually. Like Chandkazi Lila, you know the Chandkazi Lila? It is all before Mahaprabhu took sannyas. So he's starting to manifest himself as a bhakta. <coughs> he took initiation and first he's diving deeply into that and then he starts to distribute it and then the, 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 some interference comes with his distribution of that in the form of the Brahmin boys criticizing him. So then he thinks I should take sannyas if I really want to do this. Like someone told probably, if you really want to preach, then you should take sannyas. <laughs> so Mahaprabhu's thinking, yeah, then they'll listen more, so I'll take sannyas. So he's already starting to do it, and the reasons that will greater facilitate it. All right, we'll stop there. Simon Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Maharaj ki jai. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Maharaj ki jai. Bhakti Prabhupada ki jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai. Gaur Pramanan ki jai. Gaur Pramanan ki jai.